1: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Live on Purpose Radio. This is Dr. Paul, the shrink, who expands your life. I'm excited to bring you another life-expanding experience today. I had an interesting opportunity just this past week to hear a presentation from a friend of mine, and these are some people I've been associated with for quite a while, but I've learned some new things about them, and one of the things that I learned is that my guest today has authored a book. And this is something I didn't know until this week. And I was so excited about the topic of this book. This particular show is going to be coming out the week of the 4th of July, 2008. And I was racking my brain a while back to to think through, okay, well, what can I do to acknowledge some of the issues that I think are important for the 4th of July? and obviously patriotism and love of country and some things like that come into mind. Well, today's guest is a perfect addition to the Live On Purpose Radio uh, lineup of shows. I want to introduce Zane Taylor. Say hello, Zane. Hello, Dr. Paul. (laughs) I'm so glad you're here with me today. Let me give a little introduction of who you are, okay? I got to know you... Probably, oh, I don't know, a decade ago, maybe a little more, uh, when I moved into the same neighborhood, and I got to know you and your wife, Beth, and uh, had some associations with you there in the community and in the church that we both attend, and uh, just kind of got to know you as a member of the community. Now, you are a veteran of World War II, is that correct?
2: Yes, doctor. And there's... There's not a lot of those left. I I understand that about 1,000 die a day of World War II veterans. Is that Uh, right? uh, Some say 2,000 a day. Well, there were a lot of people involved in this war.
1: And, in fact, you've put in this book of yours, you've, you've put in some of the statistics and how many people actually participated in the war. Now, I come from a background where both of my grandfathers fought in World War II and one of them died in may so he was one of the thousand that that month or however many you said are gone each time but uh, i have another grandfather who fought in world war 2 and uh, i thought about inviting him to be here on the show today he doesn't
2: he doesn't talk about it a lot have you found this too that some of the veterans just don't want to talk about it there's there are so many things that happen in the war that you don't want to talk about Mm-hmm. But, I had enough things to put in a book that I could talk about, mm-hmm. so i'm I'm really happy to be here with dr paul and uh I must say that uh, I respect anyone who works with people who have may have problems of the mind and body and mm-hmm. any other kind of problems and so mm-hmm. it's an honor to me for me to be here. Dr Paul
1: well I'm just thrilled to have you with me you know i've I'm intrigued with what it is you've done, and I think that your generation and the people who remember World War II, as you say you know they're 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 dying now they're they're getting up in age and some of them still have injuries or conditions that were left over from the war. There's a lot of issues involved there, but I think we're losing sight of a really important era in our history in the united states and there are some important things to remember about war and what it is and what's been done on behalf of everyone in this country by the people who served and that's something that i really want to emphasize as part of this program maybe we could talk for just a minute about about this book that you wrote and we'll come back to this toward the end of the program too You wrote a book that's called Lesser Heroes. Can you tell us just a little bit about where that's coming from and
2: and why you even wrote this thing? Uh, Because I had so many uh, wild and common experiences as an infantryman in the war, in Patton's Third Army in uh, France, Germany, and the Battle of the Bulge, uh, I I thought I needed to put these experiences on paper because I have many grandkids and great-grandkids and family, and then someone decided they'd print the book for me. And so the book is a tribute to all who served in the war, all the military people, plus all those people who stayed home Mm -hmm. and worked on the aircraft lines and the tank lines and did their jobs. And Mm -hmm. so this lesser heroes means there are many heroes that are not touted or that you never hear about them. And so the Mm -hmm. book is a tribute to them too. Well,
1: you have a section in this book, I was just noticing this last night, where you put in a... uh, There's a lot of informational things. You put some pictures in here of different aspects of the war and and the equipment that you used and the people that were involved. And then there's a table, and I'm not finding it right off, but you put in a table here about the different wars that the United States has been involved with, how many people were involved in those wars, how many casualties there were. And as I was looking through this, oh, here it is. It's on page 300 for any of you who are following along at home. On page 300, uh, you you put in here, for example, well, and you've done a lot of research here, haven't you, Zane? Uh, the Revolutionary War was fought from 1776 to 1783. 200,000 people participated in that war, and it shows here that 4,435 were killed, 6,188 were wounded. And then you, that's just an example. It starts with the Revolutionary. There's the War of 1812, the Mexican War, the Civil War, the Spanish-American War. We get down here to World War II, which was fought from 1941 to 1945, and there were 16.5 million people who participated. Does that mean Military soldiers? People. Military, Military people. people. And is that just the United States or from all sides?
2: That was just from the United
1: States. Okay, so this doesn't include the German well, soldiers, the Japanese soldiers. Sixteen and a half million Americans. American soldiers. American soldiers uh, participated. And of that, how many were
2: killed? Uh, over uh, 400,000 were killed and wow. six, 650,000 wounded. And wow. uh, the, they're Americans, not other people. Those are just Americans. the Americans. So Americans. this doesn't
1: include all of the casualties on the other sides. It doesn't include, for example, all of those Jews that were exterminated by Hitler and his no. forces. Six six hundred 650,000 wounded, 400,000 killed in the war. That's right. That's right. You know, Zane, we were at, uh, uh, when when you and I were, We're at this event just a couple of days ago. You came and presented some things to a group of people. And there were several war veterans there, and one of the guys chose not to share any of his experiences. Do you remember that? Yes. And he was actually in the Korean War, but he chose not to share those experiences because people who were close to him were killed and and many times killed in the presence of their buddies, And you know about this. You've witnessed this. This is what makes it so difficult for people to talk about sometimes because war is real, and
2: as you say on the back cover of your book, war is hell. It is. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I left out a few experiences because they're hurtful to me, and uh, I lost some buddies. It was very interesting that we would get replacements to those guys that were wounded or killed, and they would join our unit, our squad, and maybe I'd get to know their first name, like Joe, and and pretty Mm -hmm. soon, a day or two later, I'd say, where's Joe? Well, he got wounded yesterday. I didn't even get to know that person, Mm. and we'd get replacements on and off Mm -hmm. during the months that I was there. Some people you didn't even get to to get acquainted with, you know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But a, a group of guys, about eight, nine of us, survived for four months together. And so we bonded, and we became great friends.
1: Now, this is the group of soldiers that's depicted on the front of your book. Yes. And if you want to see this picture, just on the website, liveonpurposeradio.com, we're going to put up a a link to this book so that that any of you listeners can get connected with this. But the picture on the
2: front is this squad that you're talking about. That's right. Uh, A fun group of guys, very serious, very friendly, and we worked together to succeed. Uh, But finally, two weeks after I left the... The war, the Battle of the Bulge, uh, two of those great guys were killed by one artillery shell, mm. and I, I, I think about those two guys a lot in my life mm-hmm. because we were close together and they were fun kind of guys, and mm-hmm. I don't know why they were gone and I'm still here. But uh, uh, all of those guys on the book are now gone, but I've had. One of them come out and spend two weeks with us, he mm-hmm. and his wife came from Chicago. So we had mm-hmm. a chance to tell stories and have fun together.
1: Mm. I'm sure you grow very close to, to the buddies, the comrades, those people who are so close to you during those times of battle. What an enormously stressful thing to go through. And as you go through it with people, uh, it, it draws you closer together.
2: When we can uh, talk to each other, you know, after a sharp battle or artillery or mortar shells, or we were actually strafed by a German plane, and uh, we got out of that, and to have someone to talk to about the experience is very helpful, and and so mm-hmm. that's why we became such good friends. Mm-hmm. Somebody to talk to, no one else to nobody really cares about you. The officers are too busy trying to direct mm. direct activities, where we're going, where we're going to attack the next day, how we're going to attack and uh, mm. and so many things like that.
1: Well when we come back from this first commercial break, I want you to share a few of those experiences and we'll talk about the principles you've learned as a result of being involved in that experience.
3: This is Ross Kellen Moore of Creation Tree Coaching, and I've got two questions for you. Who are you? What do you want? You see, I've figured out that you and I can absolutely create anything that we really want. But to do that, we've got to be absolutely clear on who we really are and what we really want. So, what do you want? More financial abundance? More fulfilling relationships? A higher level of health and fitness? How about finding your work that allows you to create massive value for others in the way that you love most? Welcome to Creation Tree Coaching. We are the world's premier provider of abundance, education, and resources. We are here to help you create the life you really love. Begin now at creationtreecoaching.com. Check out our live teleseminar classes and podcasts. Get to know our coaches and schedule a coaching session. Explore training for your business and employees. Welcome to Creation Tree Coaching
0: and a whole new world that you create on purpose. This is Kirk Wiesler to tell you about morebetterbooks.com. Morebetterbooks.com is where you can find more better books for a more better life. Not only that, let me tell you about some of the very fun and cool select titles on morebetterbooks.com. You'll want to get a copy of The Dog Poop Initiative. This best smelling book could change your life. Forever, it certainly changed the lives of thousands of Boeing employees, as well as school teachers, parents, leaders across the United States, and in Israel, and in Germany. And you can get your own copy at morebetterbooks.com. Whoa, that's not all. What about The Cookie Thief? This classic tale told in a rhyming format, fully illustrated with very fun hit messages. Pick up a copy now today on morebetterbooks.com. Other great titles there, Finding Your Pathway to Mastery, Beyond Illusions, Make It Great, These titles are only available on morebetterbooks.com. Go to morebetterbooks.com today and begin to have a more better life and live that life on purpose.
1: I'm here with Zane Taylor, who is the author of Lesser Heroes, and this is really—it's an autobiographical kind of a sketch of your experiences in World War II as a soldier for the American Army, and uh, some of the guys that you you became familiar with there. You know, I was thinking, Zane, as we were uh, going through that last commercial, I was thinking that the world of war is so different from the world that we are used to in a free America. But the whole reason that we even have a free America is because you guys went out there and did this. Talk a little bit about what it means to you. What this, uh, the military, for example. Um, and you might share a little bit, I, I've heard a little bit about your story about how you got into this in the first place. Of course. Because you were planning on going to school, weren't you?
2: Oh, yes. I was drafted into the Army and Uh thought I was going to school because I took a test and passed the test. And we got 13 weeks of basic training before school. All of a sudden, they said, you're in the infantry. You're not going to school. And so you're going to train some more to be an infantryman. And after about seven months total of training, we were over in France. We went through England, but we went directly to France. And that first night that we joined my outfit on the line, the 35th Division, 320th Regiment, Company C, were on the line facing uh, the enemy. And so they, uh, we crossed over to where they put us on trucks and uh, they said, we can't put take you to the front line be, until it's dark, and we'll take you as far as we can go in trucks. We got up there and, uh, dropped a few of us off at each spot, and we walked through trees, joined our squad, and there's a squad of about eight or ten men there, and I met my squad for the first time, and, uh, In the meantime, well, all the time that we were moving at the front, there were shells, artillery shells dropping uh, randomly uh, here and there. And when uh, I got time to talk to my sergeant after meeting the guys, I said, what about these shells that are dropping close by? Mm -hmm. He said, oh, don't pay any attention to them. The enemy just dropped some around to kind of keep you on the edge. And, oh, boy. I said, yeah, but I don't want one of those shells that hit me the first night I joined the unit. Or any night so, that you're there, really. So, uh, well, that was a little interesting uh, evening that night, trying to get used to a few shells for about two or three hours.
1: Now, when you say shells, this is something that that uh, probably a lot of our listeners aren't familiar with, what that even means. But these shells are are huge. Um, uh, well, they're shells. They're like a bomb. bomb. It's like a bomb, <laughs> but it's fired out of a tank or a, a cannon of some kind, a howitzer, uh, and they shoot these things. And you can hear them come screaming in, can't you? You kind can of...
2: hear them unless they land on you, uh, you and then you hear don't them hear them anything. They miss you. <laughs> oh
1: boy. <laughs> So as, so you hear them falling, and then they explode when they hit. As
2: soon as they hit. So it's a huge noise, and shrapnel flies all over, and so you don't want to be within 50 mm-hmm. to 100 yards. And so shrapnel, much. I used to not even know what that was. When the shell exploded, it explodes, it uh, shatters into little tiny pieces, and they fly all mm-hmm. over.
1: So these little metal pieces that used to make up the shell itself, yes. as soon as it explodes, boom, it just sends those flying out in every direction.
2: Oh, yes.
1: And that those little pieces of metal can kill you.
2: Oh, yes, definitely.
1: And that's how your two buddies died, right? That, uh,
2: yes. That two of my d- best friends, uh, two weeks after I left the front line in Bastogne, Belgium, in the Battle of the Bulge, uh, they were in a truck and... Got shelled and they jumped out the truck, but a shell lit right to the side of them, to the two of them, mm. and so they were one immediately killed, one wounded and later died in short from time.
1: his injuries. Wow. So, so the shell doesn't have to hit you, but if it hits near you, it can explode and that shrapnel can get
4: you.
2: Yeah, you don't want to be like say within 50 yards of the.
1: You were telling me also about uh, sometimes you'd get a command to dig in. So what does that mean?
2: (laughs) Well, the very first attack that I went on, and that was two or three days after I joined my outfit, and we had received a few shells. But we finally, they moved us to a point where we were to attack the enemy. And we formed a line and walked slowly towards the enemy and uh, we had, hadn't gone more than three or 400 yards then shells uh, artillery shells began to land among us and uh, we ge- we were given the order to dig in which means dig a pox hole that you can get your body below the level of the ground
1: so you uh, had to physically dig a hole in the ground <laughs> to hide in yeah now, and, that doesn't help you if the shell lands right in your hole. Oh,
2: no. But, uh, but if it lands
1: nearby, that gives you, you can get below ground level, and then the shrapnel passes over the top of you. That's right. And okay.
2: I uh, got my trench dibby, digging shovel out and dug like fury. I set a new world record for digging a pot's oh. hole in the shortest length of time. I bet dirt was just a flying. <laughs> finally got my head below ground, my body below ground, my legs below ground, my feet below ground. The last thing to go in the hole is your feet. And you dig between shells landing. The shells land maybe every 10 seconds, every 15 seconds, or every 30 seconds. So you have a few seconds to dig in between shells. uh, Wow. So... uh, I finally got mm. below ground and thought I got hit in the back with some shrapnel and I couldn't feel any blood. Come to find out that the shrapnel had hit into the side of the foxhole, just above my body. Mm. And so uh I wanted to get that shrapnel, but my sergeant wouldn't let me stay there.
1: Oh, you wanted to go back for it later?
2: After the shelling, I said, I'm going back and get that piece of shrapnel. And he said, no, you're not. We're moving out. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, well. that foxhole saved me. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were not many wounded that day because we dug in. Mm. So.
1: so this is just one of the routines that you had to learn when those shells start coming in you just start digging like crazy and hope and pray that you could get cover before uh, something hit.
2: That's right, Doctor. Uh Uh Wow.
1: You know, it's amazing to hear these experiences, and I'm thinking this has to have been a life-altering experience for you. Uh,
2: There were so many things I learned. I learned to have confidence, uh, how to handle disappointment, You know, we'd have surprises. We didn't know each morning what we were going to run into, whether it was going to be a machine gun, we were going to get uh, some plane strafing us, artillery shells or mortar shells.
1: Now, you've Uh, said that a few times,
2: strafing. What does that mean? It means that a a fighter plane comes over and strafes the area. It nearly always happens when we were... Uh, we were moving on a road, uh, down a road with a column maybe five miles long of infantrymen marching on a road. They would shuttle us in, in trucks, but you had to walk a lot of the time. They'd come back and pick you up in the truck and take you up front and dump you off. Well, while we were on the road one day, we got word through a, a, a radio, officer's radio, that a a plane was strafing our line back down the road.
1: And that means he was shooting at you.
2: He was uh, using those machine guns on the plane to strafe the road. And the thing you want to do is get off the road as far as you can. So when we got word the plane was coming back, coming up the road towards us, we ran into the fields as far as we could run. Uh, We thought we had time and dived down and it'd pass on. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the second plane that strafed us, we got word was coming. I could see a village. We were right on the edge of the village, and I was near a, a a little village home, and I said, should I run out in the field, or should I run inside the village? And I, I run as fast as I could to the village, and opened the door, and got in and back, and the the bullets ran down the street uh, from the plane right behind mm. me. I made it about. Oh wow! Anyway,
1: I, there's probably a number of times when, when you could have,
2: or maybe even should have, been killed. <laughs> well, uh, if you read the book, I think you'll fully understand that I had uh, extra help from mm-hmm. above uh, because I I was very fortunate not mm-hmm. to get hurt worse than i was and
1: you know this is an interesting topic because i've talked to some people i think i think a powerful experience like like being involved in the war has a different effect on different folks and i know that for some people it strengthens and solidifies their faith and for other people they they don't get as connected or maybe they think that they want to blame god maybe for the war <laughs> And uh, it's interesting to see that. It sounds like, and from what I know about you, this was an experience that that really anchored your faith. This is something that, that brought you closer to
2: God. Well, uh, I've told you before about, uh, I learned to pray from my grandmother. And when I got in the war, it was prayer every day. It wasn't just mm. once in a while. And... And so I, I'm sure I was blessed. I was in the right place at the right time, and I was spared many things, many things mm-hmm. that happened to other guys. And I was really, I really feel like it strengthened my faith because mm-hmm. I was taught to uh, not be afraid of death. I was not afraid of dying, but I was a little bit afraid of how I was going to oh. die because each day... You wonder if it's going to be a piece of shrapnel, a bullet, or something, something mm. else.
1: <laughs> uh, fascinating experiences. We'll be right back after this next break. For the Live on Purpose Radio Podcast, it is truly an honor to be a part of your prosperity team. Please visit my website, drpaul.org, to get connected with other tools for you and your family. There you will find links to my weekly e-zine, Empower: Harnessing the Power of the Mind, and to the free Parental Power Teleconference that I host every week with my wife, Vicki. You can also check out upcoming events or pick up powerful information products. Feel free to contact me directly with questions, comments, or to book me for your company or private event. Email me through Dr. Paul at LiveonPurposeradio.com.
4: I've got a great idea. This is Shay Larson, ideaorbit.com with the World of Ideas Report. Those who teach children all too often have to say the following statement. Stop leaning back on your chair. Or how about that is going to break that chair? In fact, did you know each year over 7,000 injuries are reported in British hospitals alone due to children seesawing on their chairs? Worldwide injuries reach the hundreds of thousands each year. One British teacher finally decided to do something about this. His name is Thomas Keisel, and his new invention not only stopped children from rocking back in their chairs, but he retired as a teacher because his product was so profitable. He calls it Max. Max is a chair design where the back legs of the chair are bent backwards a little. This makes it virtually impossible to lean back. By keeping all four legs on the ground, Thomas' chair is keeping children out of hospitals. His chair is becoming widely popular as he was receiving orders from schools all over. Congratulations, Thomas Keisel, on a grounded idea. This is Shay Larson, ideaorbit.com with the World of Ideas report. I've got a great idea. Wouldn't you like to know? You probably could.
1: You know, I commented a little bit earlier that uh, there's not a lot of people who still remember World War II. And my grandparents do. Um, my parents remember a little bit, but they were born in the 40s. Okay, so there's not a lot of people who still remember, at least very clearly, World War II. And uh, it occurred to me, and, and I asked you during the break, Zane, uh, how old you are. And you're going to be 83 next month, right?
2: Oh, oh you told them.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Was I not supposed to say? <laughs> 83. And you've seen a lot in those 83 years. I Two weeks ago, I interviewed two people on this show, and together, they they added up to 12. <laughs> I had two six-year-olds on the show. That's great. And uh, so, so we've interviewed a, a wide variety of people here, and... I just, I'm just, I'm eating up this experience. You've you've seen things that I have never seen, and you've experienced things that I've never experienced. But, you know, it's interesting, in life, the experiences that we have teach us things. And just before the break, we were talking about your faith and how your grandmother had taught you to pray. And when you got over there to France... And you landed on that beach, and you found out that, you know, things besides rain fall from the sky. (laughs) Uh, You had to get pretty close to your Creator pretty quick. And uh, your faith carried you through. You learned about sincere prayer. I'm sure that some of the prayers you offered were not the kind that sometimes we do, you know, that become really routine and really just kind of mechanical I'm sure it was really heartfelt, a really heartfelt connection.
2: I'm so grateful that I had faith and was able to know how to pray. And uh, when I joined my outfit, my sergeant was quite religious uh, Mm. from the South. And he recognized me. And when I told him who I was and my faith, about my faith and so forth, he named me Zacharias. Zacharias, huh? So during the months I was in the war, I was Zach. That was my nickname. Oh, really? So everybody called me Zach and Zacharias. And so he thought I was really re- religious because, you know, I didn't drink coffee or like or didn't take part in the cigarettes. Everybody mm-hmm. got my cigar- share of the cigarettes because... You got cigarettes. Oh, I'm sure
1: they appreciated that.
2: <laughs> you got three in every pack they gave you, you know. And, uh-huh. But it was great to have that kind of faith and be respected by my sergeant. Who, mm-hmm. And I, I credit him for, part, for being alive because he looked out for me, and he looked out for our squad. If we were to attack, he would talk to the officers and say, Okay, where are we going to go? I want to mm-hmm. know. Where I'm taking these people, this squad mm-hmm. in the army, I want to know where we're going. Is this the best way to go and There were times he refused when we crossed the mm. river. He said, "I'm not going across there. Another time where we were we were to go out over a field and attack a forest on the other side He said we're not I'm not taking my men out there because Two or three squads had already been shot to pieces out there, and he wouldn't take us. Mm -hmm. And I got into it a little bit, too, with some officers at the time. Mm. I told them myself after he did. Mm -hmm. I said, this is crazy. You're going to kill us all if we we have to go out there. Wow. And finally, at that time, they did stop our attack.
1: Well, this is you know that illustrates a couple of different things you've You've talked a little bit about the bond that forms, and as you as you go through these difficult experiences, you come closer together with those that you share the experiences with and I think this is true in families and in marriages and in in many aspects of life. Some people have these adversities or these these hard things happen to them, and instead of pulling together and forming that bond. Sometimes they'll have contention or they'll start fighting with each other or or allow it to drive them apart But I think when it when push comes to shove when your life is on the line And you're sharing this experience with other people it has a
2: power to really bond people together Is that something that you've seen as well? Uh, We did that many times Uh, the time I was caught out on the field one time with one other guy and we had to come together, and I had to bind up his shrapnel wounds. And just, I'd never met the guy before. And we were together just for a short time and lived together for a couple hours. And a time after we got free from this. But mm-hmm. that short time, we bonded. And because we were together with a larger group, the squad, we bonded really well. And I think we developed an attitude. You could feel bad for yourself being in the war, you know, and say, oh, I just got to get out of here. What's going to happen? Well, this is terrible. But if you say, mm-hmm. we're going every day, we're going to do it. We this is our responsibility. And uh, I think our squad had a good attitude about moving ahead mm. and not taking the downside all the time. Well,
1: now you're really pushing my buttons because attitude is one of my favorite things to talk about. And I've become convinced that your circumstances in life just don't matter that much. That's just the stuff of life. And then you can take that and you can do whatever you will with it. I'm sure you saw this in the war too, that there are people who had had that kind of attitude where it was just, okay, here's our responsibility. Here's what we've got. Let's do it. And there are others who would just kind of kind of melt down into what I call the victim mode, where, you know, woe is me, and this is terrible, and I can't handle this. I,
2: I saw a few of those. One morning, we heard a couple of shots. It was in the snow in the forest, and we heard two shots. And we wondered, where's the enemy? Are they attacking? We didn't hear anything from our officers. But we found out two guys had shot themselves in the foot. Each one shot the other guy in the foot so they could get off the front line. Well, that's corporal punishment, you know, to uh-huh. to do that. And well, maybe is
1: that where the saying comes, shoot yourself in the foot? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, People do this, though, you know. They'll, they'll think that their circumstances are so bad that they can't handle it and then do something to get themselves out of their responsibility, but the thing that they do to get themselves out of it actually puts them in a worse position.
2: Yeah, they definitely were in a worse position. Yeah. Besides the, the wound they got, they, they face a court-martial oh, in the yeah. army. And that's another thing we learned, is to respect authority. When mm. someone tells you to do something, you got to do it, and you better be ready, and... That's why we trained seven months before we got there, doing nothing but physical activities and following commands. Here in the the States, we followed commands, you know, we had to do things, practice, Mm -hmm. and that made us strong. Or we couldn't pack the 40 40 to 55 pounds that we were carrying. Just.
1: Just the physical conditioning that's required. Because everything that you had, you had to carry with you. Yeah. Uh, Who's going to carry it if you don't, right?
2: (laughs) There was no storage place back of the front line that would hold any of your stuff. So whatever you carried, uh, whatever you owned, you carried. Mm -hmm. So uh, like my friend carried a bugle for a little while. Mm -hmm. Uh, Somebody gave me a little pair of French binoculars that I used to watch the enemy with. And mm-hmm. I carried those. And I carried mm-hmm. uh, anti-tank grenades because I was an anti-tank grenadier. I was assigned that job. Oh. And, uh, mm-hmm. and so, uh, anyway, yeah, there's so many good things that came out of it, along with many bad things. But mm-hmm. tried to focus on what it helped me to face and do in this life, and it's helped mm-hmm. me so much in this life.
1: You know, a lot of people uh, build up all kinds of expectations of what their life's going to be like. I'm sure as soon as you hit the front lines in a major conflict like World War II, that all of that other stuff becomes insignificant. There's nothing else that really matters that much. Uh, talk for just a minute about, about handling disappointment, handling changes, handling surprises that come up in your life, because this is what
2: war is all about. Yeah, well, we we had so many of those in, in, uh, in the war. Uh, well, it started out with me not making college and, and going to the infantry.
1: Right, because you were planning on going off to college, learning some things, and then going back to work, probably.
2: Yes, a mission, college, and then to work. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I I missed the mission, but I got to college later, and that was great. But uh, we found out that each day was a surprise. So we could be disappointed in a hurry about what we expected each day. In other words, uh, maybe we thought we were in a safe position. Like mm-hmm. One of the jobs, one of the things I thought I did well As we advanced, I would look for a place to hide. In other words, if there were a low part of the land or if there was trees or if we were shot at or artillery, I would go for the safest place I could find. Mm -hmm. And I thought that helped. You learn
1: to scope that out in advance and just be ready. You know, we just watched a show not too long ago with the family. It's called Dan in Real Life. And it's just this new movie that has come out. It's just this entertainment uh, thing. But one of the things that caught my attention, toward the end of the show, he said, sometimes people ask me about my plans. And he said, you know, I've learned enough in life to say that, well, I plan on being surprised. (laughs) And that's not a bad approach, I think. If if you can just realize that things aren't always going to be the way that you expect them to be. And be ready for that, you know. And you can do things, like you were saying, you know, as you would advance, you'd look for, okay, what's the safest place? How can we, in the event of something that happens, how can we maximize the chance that we're going to survive it and that we're going to be able to to keep our, our uh, group safe, you know. And you can do that, too, but plan to be surprised, We'll be right back with one more segment.
5: Hi, This is Jason Adams, one of the co-founders of CashflowParadigm.com. We created Cashflow Paradigm as a way to help others look at money differently. What are your beliefs about money? Is it good or bad? Many people have beliefs that limit their control over money and don't even realize it. The thing most people don't realize is that their beliefs about money greatly affect the amount of money and prosperity they have. It's all about your paradigm. Come play a fun game with us called Cashflow 101, created by best-selling author Robert Kiyosaki. Come meet new people and check your paradigm as we learn principles that govern our personal and financial lives while having fun together. Currently, we are holding monthly game nights in Provo and St. George, Utah. Go to our website at www.cashflowparadigm.com to register for upcoming events. That's www.cashflowparadigm.com.
3: Raising kids is one of the most challenging and rewarding experiences we can have in life. Your children didn't come with an owner's manual, so it's up to you to learn whatever will assist you in your role as a mom or a dad. Join me and my husband, Dr. Paul, for a free weekly discussion about all of the hot topics in parenting. Listen to what others are saying about these calls.
5: By applying the things I've learned to the Parental Power calls, I'm finally becoming the mom I always thought I would be. I
3: really like to use Parental Power as kind of like a reference book. So as I have concerns with my parenting, I like to be able to look up on the blog and then listen to whatever podcasting is closely related. So I like the variety of, of topics, the variety of age groups that are addressed.
5: I'm on the parental power calls as often as I possibly can because I know I'm going to come away with something I can apply to being a parent that very day.
1: Let us join your parenting team through parental power. Just send an email to Dr. Paul at liveonpurposeradio.com to register for the live calls or just check us out first through the link at drpaul.org all of the previous calls are posted on our blog site where you can also add your own input let's team up to start parenting on purpose Well, we're back, and uh, there's, a, there's a piece here, Zane, that I really want to, to emphasize in, a, in the last segment of our show here today. It's been fascinating to talk to you about some of your experiences with World War II, what you've learned from that. We haven't even scratched the surface of all of the principles that you've learned and the ways that this has changed your life. I'm so glad that you have written this book. And again, I want, let's, let's plug that for a minute, and we'll come back to this at the end, too. It's called Lesser Heroes, and that title itself just acknowledges that, you know, we've heard of the great war heroes. There's, there's General Patton, and there's uh, uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower, and, and Churchill, and all of those guys. We know all about the great heroes. But there's all of these lesser heroes that we may or may not heard of. One of those is Zane Taylor, sitting right in front of me here today. But what about all the people at home? And I've got Beth here in studio, too. She's not on the mic, but she was saying during the break that uh, she got to know you, Zane, after the war. And uh, and yet this was a part of your experience, too, Beth, Is as you were at home and uh, you knew a lot of people who were gone and all the prayers that went up for those people. Have, and uh, I better put you on mic if you're going to say something, though. Say <laughs> stamps, She's saying they had to have stamps to buy everything that they had, the shoes, the shirt, the rationing, because all of that effort was going to the war effort to to provide these soldiers with what they needed to secure the freedoms that we enjoy so regularly today, so regularly. You had to save everything. Uh, Beth, maybe we should put you on a mic. We could do a whole hour just with you, couldn't we? Well, this this is coming down to, I think, one of the crux messages of today's program, it's the 4th of July this week. We're all going to celebrate the independence of this great country that we have. World War II was fought because there are other ideas that people had. I'm thinking of Hitler. Um, You mentioned some of these here in the front of the book, Zane. In fact,
2: you got a picture of Hitler and Mussolini. I purchased about six pictures of leaders like Mm Patton, Eisenhower, Hitler, mm-hmm. Mussolini, Stalin, Churchill, and... Uh, Hirohito. Uh, Hirohito and MacArthur, because I, I wanted people to see what those people looked like as they read about them and, mm-hmm. and uh, to understand a little bit of hi- history.
1: So I'm looking at this picture, and it's got Mussolini and Hitler. It looks like they're riding in a car.
2: Yes, in Germany.
1: And this man, Hitler, had this idea that was very different from the American standard and ideal that we have, and was causing all kinds of death and destruction and and chaos in the world, and was planning on rolling that forward. Well, here's Zane Taylor thinking, hey, I think I'll go to school and learn some things and, and have a normal life, and And yet Hitler's thinking, no, I'm going to take over the world and do some things the way I want to do it. And you guys were over there to make sure that that didn't happen and that we could retain the freedoms and the liberty and the rights that we have as a free country. And I I really want to emphasize that. I know that you have a great love for this country.
2: I was fortunate uh, when I was about 11 years old to have a teacher who was in World War I. And uh, he didn't get oh. into combat, but he was in France. And he taught us, and he brought his rifle to our class, and he taught us to be, to be good citizens, support mm-hmm. your country. And so I credit him with my love of the country. And I mm-hmm. love this country because freedom and the right to do the things you want to do are so important to everybody. And
1: Tell me how how you would like to see people respond. For example, if there's a parade and the flag comes by. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what I'm talking about, yeah. don't you? Some people just ignore it and they just sit there and...
2: Uh, it's it's very hard for me to see people who will not at least respect the flag and this country. They may not like everything we do, and we do things mm-hmm. wrong sometimes, but we still have the choice of uh, in this country to do most of the things we'd like to do. So it mm-hmm. kind of hurts if I see somebody disrespect the flag and won't salute it or won't take their cap off long, long enough to put over their heart, you know, and mm-hmm. show true respect. And, uh, you know, mm. I, I love this country so much. It's a...
1: Well, and there's, you know, I think of some of the words of Abraham Lincoln in the Gettysburg Address when he was talking about how we honor those who have gone before or who have fought for our freedom. And gave what he called the last full measure of devotion. And you've witnessed this, Zane, as you were there on the front lines and you saw people who literally gave their life for this country and for the freedoms that we enjoy. And for us to take that lightly is, I think, a huge disrespect to those men and women who have given us that gift to start with. But it also shows that we really don't appreciate what we have. Freedom is not free. Freedom is not free. It is purchased at a great price.
2: And we must stay with that and uh, fight for it. I honor and respect those in our military now. Mm. They're doing a great job. And I respect all those who have served in the past, you know. Mm-hmm. And anybody who uh, supports our country and willing to mm-hmm. give time and effort.
1: Mhm. You know, I was I was going to lunch with a friend of mine. And uh this is a man that I respect a lot and that I've learned a lot from and we went into a little restaurant. It was just a little fast food place, I don't know, Wendy's or something. And as we went in there, there was um there was a soldier who was in there eating and he was dressed in the military fatigues and and uh, it was the desert storm look, you know, with the the camouflage sand look anyway he looked really sharp and he was dressed up there and this friend of mine before he went to order he walked over to this serviceman and he said to him i just wanted to thank you for your service oh. and it really touched me it was it was this acknowledgement he didn't have to he went out of his way to go over there and said and just he shook his hand he said, I just wanted to thank you for your service.
2: And that meant a lot. We uh, had the opportunity in Belgium, in Bastogne, to go in a restaurant. And the people knew who we were. And the mayor of Bastogne came up to us and asked who we were. And we told him we were in the war there in Bastogne in Belgium. And he took us around the city and showed us and had so much respect for us. Mm-hmm. And it really meant a lot to us. In fact, in France and Belgium, some of those countries, they have a lot of military equipment and their groups and little clubs. And I have a friend over there now who's going to all the little celebrations over there right now that they have for being freed back then. Mm.
1: It's such a valuable gift. And I really don't think that we fully appreciate how much we have been given by those who are willing to go out. You know, even just... This is a totally different example, but, you know, you go to the store and you buy a package of hamburger. Okay? And apologies to those of you who are vegetarians, but we (laughs) like to eat some hamburger and some meat every once in a while. Well, I... I go to the store and I buy a package of hamburger. I don't have to be the one who's out there raising the cow and who slaughters the cow and who does all of the dirty work to get to that package of hamburger. And in a similar way, here I am enjoying these freedoms every day. And every one of us uh, have freedoms that we didn't personally purchase, they were bought for us, and someone else did the dirty work. And I was the very first story that you share in your book, saying, after the personal history section there's there's a personal history in the front, and you go through some of your war experiences and what you've learned from that, and you told an the experience of uh, you know being under some machine gun fire and just playing dead, just lying there and expecting that you could be shot at any moment and And I'm thinking, you know, I am really grateful that I don't have to go crawl on my belly. Or come under fire, or take shrapnel, to have my freedom. But somebody has done that for me, and my hat goes off to you. I just—I'm not wearing a hat right now, but I was the other day, and I took it off. And my hat goes off to you, Zane. Before before I let you go today, your experience is is priceless, and it's compelling, and you're willing to share it, and that's why you've read, written this book. I'm going to put a link on Live on Purpose Radio, where people can buy the book directly. And I want to encourage all of you. Here's one way to give your thanks to at least one veteran from World War II. But also, in this way, I think you can honor all of those others that went out there and fought in our behalf. So I want to encourage people to get the book, not only because it's a great example of what can be learned from this kind of an experience, but just a way to thank you and others who have have done this you're also willing to speak though and in fact i ran into you at an event where you were speaking and sharing some of your experiences how can people get in touch with you if they would like to talk to you about maybe uh, having you come and speak at their event or or uh just have an exchange with you and correspond what's the best way
2: you do phone numbers
1: we can if you'd like or emails work well for this group
2: Okay, email. Okay. Z A C K T at Juno dot com. That's oh, okay. Zach T. Z A C K T at Juno.
1: And that was your military nickname. Zach. Zach. <laughs> even though your name's Zane. But Zach T. Z-A-C-K-T at com. So you're all right with people just jotting off an yep. email if they want to, even if they just want to thank you for sharing your story, but you're also available to, uh, to visit people's groups. You've got a number of really interesting visual aids. You've got grenades and rifles and packs and all kinds of things that you can bring to show people. So, I
2: have everything I carried, including the... Mm -hmm. Uh, Bullets and uh, hand grenades.
1: And it's a a fascinating presentation, but you know, for me, it just raised my awareness to what it is that we're dealing with here. Thank you so much for being here on my show today. You and your good wife, Beth, and she's got some great insights, too. If they email you, they can get in hold of both of you, right?
2: Without Beth, I could not have done this. And that's a great acknowledgement as well Thank you for being with me Thank you, Dr. Apollo It's an honor to be here